So look at this with me. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in the, view, or in the view of the mercies or by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, that every one of you among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we are many members in one body, but not all the members do have the same function. So we, being many, are one, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us then use them. And then he'll go through prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And then in verse 9 he says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Now flip from there then, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now you know that you were Gentiles, led away by these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit, a diversity of ministries, but the same Lord, and a diversity of activities, but the same God who works all and in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, for to one is given the word of wisdom, and then we'll see the word of knowledge, it's the faith, gifts of healing, miracles, discerning uh, prophecies, um, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, all with this concept of with the same Spirit, through the same Spirit, through the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. Verse 11 then says, But one in the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he needs, or as he wills, for as the body is many members, as one yet has many members, and all the members are of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For as one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether there be Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and been made to drink of the same or the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then he'll go into the whole issue of foot and eyes and this kind of stuff that would really look quite funny if it actually took place in real life. By the time we get done to all of that, of course, the intent of all of it in verse 25 is that there would be no schism in the body is what we read there. Ultimately, then he'll, he'll move from that to, to, to saying God gives and distributes to each one as he wills in the church. And then verse 28, he'll speak about apostles, prophets, teachers, the gifts of miracles and healings, helps, administrations, and the varieties of tongues. And then ultimately, he'll end the chapter by saying, well, is everyone not those things? Is everyone an apostle? Or are, are, are all prophets? Um, do all are, all are all teachers? Do all have the gifts of miracles or workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly seek the best gifts. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for the sweet joy of knowing that one day we are going to stand before you and we can look forward to that day. We read this day to be a day of hope. A hope that we cling to in such a way that it leads us and moves us and penetrates our very hearts in that direction. So we pray today, Lord, that you would do that. And this time, redeem every second. Keep me clear and concise exactly what you want to speak. And Lord, in that, please profoundly minister to each one of us today. So Lord, I just want to commit this to you. 
I pray that you would just be blessed by this. I offer myself to you, Lord. Fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me that I would disappear, but you would appear, and that you would bring salvation and hope and encouragement and availability to every human being, Lord. And I thank you for this sweet gift of this time. So take my lips and attach them to your heart. And minister now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the thing for which you stand on the truth. Regardless of how charismatic or flamboyant or seemingly powerful an individual is, it's got to line up with scripture, fundamentally. Now understand, we're looking at two different cases, and it'll be the only two cases where we have, in essence, a listing of spiritual gifts. Neither case do we ever read, by the way, take spiritual inventory. We don't read anywhere. If you could just fill out the right form and format and take this survey and this questionnaire, you could discover what your spiritual gifts are, if that were the fundamental thing. Strange as it is, that throughout Scripture, I mean, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just telling you that God has a different plan. And with both of the times where these things are listed, there's a real reason for it. In both cases, really, to be honest, there's a groundwork being laid in Romans, and there's corrective work being laid out in Corinthians. Now, if you think of the 13 letters for which... <clears throat> Paul will write that we at least say clearly came out of the quill of Paul two of the churches he had never personally met. The church of the Colossae, which he makes very clear because it had been preached by Epaphras, who had preached the gospel. A church was planted, and then he's like, well, I want to make sure we all have the same Jesus. And the church of Rome, which, by the way, we all have the privilege of, of visiting, but he hadn't written, when he was writing to him, he hadn't met him yet. But it appears as if he knows quite a deal of people that are there at this point. Now, it's quite likely that a lot of these people have been in places where Paul has been. Maybe even a lot of them have given their life to Christ through Paul's ministry. However, we find them to be very different cases. And the, in the case of, 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 the, of the book of Romans, what we have is very much like what you would see as a, as a legal document in Washington, D.C. for Americans. Here we would say like it came right out of the House of Parliament. It's very structured, it's very laid out, and it's very much, it's very meticulous in regards to the way that it's laid out. There is first this issue of sin, and then of salvation, then of sanctification, then of God's sovereignty, and then last of service. And it's very clearly linked out because he wants to make sure you understand what sin is, how you get saved from that sin and from the power and the penalty of it and ultimately from the presence of it. And then what happens the moment you give your life to Christ, starting, by the way, for what it's worth, then in chapter 6. Now, as we walk through that whole thing, understand what God is doing. Is that God wants to make sure, and as he puts it at the beginning, if you think about it, of all the epistles. Intelligently so that if you're going to go and you're going to read the book of Acts and you're all hyped and excited about doing something, the Lord was good. Well, let's make sure we're all on the same page about fundamental basic doctrines. I want you to recognize that every human being is a sinner. It doesn't matter where you started. We're all on the same page. Whether you were raised in a home where it seemed like angels sang, an organ was playing in the background, and all of your glass, all your windows were stained glass, or whether you were shooting heroin at six in the barrows, the bottom line is everybody sins because, in the essence, everybody trades in God for something or someone. And that's the basic sin that God makes clear in the first two chapters of Romans. He goes, look, God has revealed himself, being clearly seen by what he's made, so man is without an excuse. And though they knew he was there, they refused to give him credit, nor were they thankful, but exchanged the glory of God for all of these different things. In other words, the simplest basic sin is God says, here I am, and someone says, no thanks, I'll have this instead. And that's the basic sin, no matter how it plays out in your life, it's always going to boil down to that somehow. And he says, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody's traded God in for something. And the world has no problem of offering you fresh new models daily for you to trade God in for. From that then, God says, well, look it. 
If that's the case, are all the good works in the world going to clear your name or make you innocent of all of the guilt you've already earned for yourself? And he says, that can't happen. Whether you're Jewish and you were born, or it, we could just say it this way, whether you were raised in a religious home or whether you weren't raised in a religious home, we all stand guilty before God. And just doing something nice doesn't make up for the rotten thing you did before. Now, I don't know how the world buys that. They wouldn't buy it if it happened to them. I mean, think about this is a weird evangelism tool. I'm not suggesting this, but for the reasons I'm basically good and I'm hoping my good outweighs my bad, punch him in the face and then offer him a flower. I go, that makes up for it, doesn't it? No, I'm not, again, I'm not encouraging you, but consider the ludicrous concept of that. And the idea is, I just did something really rotten to you, but here's something nice. Shouldn't this make up for it? If it doesn't work with us, well, what makes us think a perfect and holy God that judges all wrong is going to actually just kind of overlook the evil things just because you, you did something nice. If you raped and killed a handful of people and then you stole from the bank but then gave it to the Girl Scouts, it's still not going to clear your name for the guilty things you've already done. And so he takes it and he goes, well, now that you recognize that you're a sinner, here's what it is. God has done the work. Jesus has paid the price on the cross and he offers it universally because the need is universal, so is the solution. Because the problem is universal, so is the cure. There's no fresh way to save someone else that's different than the way that it took to save you. Chapters 3 through 5. 6 through 8, now he says, now that you're saved, let's move forward with it. Now please understand, many people live their Christianity as if the book of Romans were five chapters long. Okay, you know, I, was, I know I'm a sinner, I said yes to Jesus, and I'm just going to wait for the glory train to show up. You know, it's going to be nice, I'm just going to live the way I did before. And you realize, if there's... The majority of the book is in front of you. God obviously has a great work to do with you beyond the moment you said yes to him. The problem is, as at least for those, might I say, that are part of the American crew here, is we're quick sale people. We're task-oriented people. So if someone says yes to Jesus, then we're like, well, cool. Well, you said yes to Jesus. I'll move on to someone else. And that person goes, well, what now? That was me, by the way, back when I was 19. Now, on the other side of it, he says, well, now that that's the case, let me tell you what God's starting to do. He put his spirit inside of you, and he starts to change you from the inside out. He starts to transform your appetites. He starts to restructure your value systems, and he gives you a clearer and a most, much a different world paradigm. All of a sudden, other people become more important than you. All of a sudden, the things of the world that are shiny decay quicker. All of a sudden, you start to realize. And all of a sudden, you start to realize that God starts to transform you, and I start to think, well... Wow, I didn't even realize you were in the room until I got saved. That's the work of the Lord. And all of this is, Paul is laying this out because with the Romans, who are, I mean, it's like you're sitting amongst a bunch of barristers with their kind of, you know, the white wigs that are full of powder. And he's going, let's make sure we have this thing play by play, cause and effect. So you were a sinner, you recognized it, you cried out to God because he did the work and you accepted the gift of Jesus. And Jesus says, is good. Now let's clean you up from the inside out. But then something happens. As he starts to transform you, you start to go, wait a minute. If you're more important than me, I start to see your needs. I didn't see them before, but now I do. And as he starts to manifest these things, and our, our, our view changes about people. And, and what happens is we become a lot more diverse than we were before. See, what we, had, we had a lot in common before we were saved because we all had the fact that we were going to hell. We were horribly selfish, rotten people that used other people. And we had sin in common. That's what we had in common before. Nothing that we would really want to fellowship around, but we did anyways. And then we got saved, and all of a sudden, this bizarre diversity started happening. Because, And when we walked in a room, we started to see different things. Someone started to see that there was a leaky faucet, or there was a loose bolt. Somebody else started to see there was a girl crying in the corner. Someone else happened to see somebody that looked really cantankerous and very ungodly, and they said, I need to talk to that person about Jesus. And we started to look around and go, wow, that's really weird. 
But at the beginning, we didn't put titles on it. We didn't have any DTRs to find the relationships or any of that. What we did at that moment is we were just so excited about God, we just did what he told us. And the cool part about it was nobody was cooler than someone else. Nobody was more amazing than someone else. Because in the end of it all, we were, all, we were other people focused. And as we were other people focused, it was just cool to serve someone. There was just something really cool about from the, the point where all of a sudden I knew that before when you were in contact with me, you were depleted. You were less a person before that. Now you can bounce off of me and actually be made better for it. That's a really weird concept for me. I mean, sincerely, it really is. I think, wow, that is a really cool thing. And I'm not looking to see whether you're doing what I'm doing in the beginning. In the, in the beginning, I'm just kind of blown away at the fact that somehow I could be used at all. There's something wondrous and amazing about that. But then what happens is somewhere in all of that, two things start happening. I mean, one is we get our hearts broken. Because not every person that you're ministering, first of all, every person you're ministering to has a will. So no matter how much love you dump on them, if they're going to be stubborn enough, they can refuse all the love you offer them. And it breaks your heart. You, you invest in an individual, and it just seems like they were really growing, and then off they run into something really stupid and benign. And you look and you think, oh my goodness, what in the world? What could I have done more? And how many times do you beat yourself up like that? If I had only said this, if I could have said this, or man, if, what if I hadn't stepped here? Or what if I hadn't done this? Or what if I could have done this? And you spend the rest of your life on the what ifs. And that's why he gives us chapters 9 through 11, where in the simplest sense of Romans, it's God plays for keeps. He knows what to do. He's sovereign. Now, this isn't the idea, and there's no focus on it of God ordaining people, specific people, for hell, because if that were the case, the conclusion wouldn't be in chapter 12, verse 1, in view of his mercy. It would say, therefore, in view of God's selection, or in view of God's you know, fickle choices, or in view of the fact that he's really stern, and you just want to make sure you're on the right side. He says, in view of his mercy, 9 through 11 tell us, in, the, in essence, God in all of this beauty of all of this, he shows mercy. He, he throws people back out into the, into the world because that's where they are anyways, and in that they come back to him, and he goes, that's what I'm doing, I play for keeps. And all of a sudden I realize those people do come back, and those people do come around, and... And I can start, stop thinking the results were my responsibility anyways. Faithfulness was my responsibility. But the other thing that starts happening is, is that we start getting kind of the, get fleshy. All of a sudden we start getting comfortable in our walks with Christ, and then we start looking around. And then it's a competition at this point. Who's got the cooler gift? Now think about it. There are some gifts that probably look cooler to the world than others. I mean, if we all stood here and one guy just stood up and spoke perfect Italian, and there were a group of Italians walking by they would probably think your gift was really cool, especially if what you said was something meaningful. Man to God is according to Scripture. If you had the gift of healings, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, who wouldn't want that? But please understand, somewhere down the line, we stopped remembering that this was about validating God's message. And we got back to somehow thinking it was about validating us. And that's where the problem happens. If you can't get validated at the cross, you will never get validated by a spiritual gift or a multiplicity of them. At the cross, God loved you so much he'd rather die than live without you. He was tortured to death both on the cross and watching his son on the cross. Think about it from both perspectives, especially on a Mother's Day. I mean, it took me until become a dad to the point I realized that the greatest torture that God experienced in redeeming me wasn't on the cross, it was watching it. Because look at, I honestly could say in a heroic moment, I might die for you if that was what was necessary, but I would never let you torture my children to save you. I just don't love you that much. No, I hope that doesn't ruin your day, but at least I'm honest with you. 
And I realized that's a greater act of love. And then I realized that Scripture, that's where it comes out. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whose perspective is that from? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. It's from the Father's perspective, because I realized that's the greater sacrifice. And we do thank the Lord, don't we? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Of course we do. But how many times do we thank the Father for watching, for allowing, for sending? Because as a dad, I realized how much more painful that was. Now hear me out. As we get now into this aspect now, in chapter 12, in both chapter 12s, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and they're addressing this issue of spiritual gifts, which we'll be spending the next couple of weeks on, please understand something. There are 11 chapters of groundwork laid out for you. He didn't say, hey, by the way, glad you guys are saved. Let's dive into a list on spiritual gifts and just pick one and ask for God to give it to you and see what happens and see if you can be cool. Because God knows if your heart's not willing to be sanctified, a spiritual gift is a power tool in the wrong hands. And God wants to use you. But the beauty in being used, to be honest, is in the beauty of being used. It isn't in the beauty of validating yourself in the using. The perfect master of eternity created you with a specific docket. And in that docket, God has a plan for every believer. Listen, you went from sinner to saved to student to servant. That's the way it works according to Scripture. And if you're not willing to be a student, you won't serve for the reason God intended for you to. In our text here in chapter 12, notice this. In both cases, I want you to notice two things that make the sandwich beautiful. Recognize it's the meat inside that we normally call the sandwich. But I've learned in Europe, they don't just say it's a ham sandwich. It's a ham sandwich with this kind of bread. With this, everything is listed. You get, the, you get the list of ingredients before you order it. Well, God does the same thing in regards to spiritual gifts. In both cases, notice two things that are fundamental. In the, in the case of uh, Romans chapter 10, or chapter 12, I'm sorry. First of all, notice the necessity of sacrifice, of surrender. When he tells us in three positive commands in verses 1 through 3, to present your bodies, to be transformed, and to think soberly. Before he's even going to start listing out things to say which of these who you might be, or, or how are you to exercise these specific gifts, he says, look it. If you can't throw your body on the altar, what in the world do you want that spiritual gift for anyways? Hey, look at Before I was saved, I would love the gift of healing, wouldn't you? I mean, think about how cool you could be if you could actually lay hands on people and be, and be healed, regardless of whether you were a Christian or not. How cool you think you would be. If you were able to do miracles? Now think about how dangerous that could be. I mean, the idea that somebody basically almost runs over you and you say, well, look, God, flip that car over. Send it on. You know, I mean, think about how dangerous that could be. But to be able to actually rest in all of this and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to actually take this and use it to be used, not use it to validate me is a different story. And he says, look it, offer your bodies, be transformed, so don't be thinking like the world thinks, where it's all about you, it's all about him, and then think soberly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But here's the funny thing. In verses 4 and 5, notice the allegory, the analogy of being parts of the body. How fundamentally important that is. You're a part of the body. The moment I give you a gift, I know what you're going to do. You're going to isolate, start thinking about yourself, and you're going to become an island. It's going to become the me show. It's the Tony healing hour. It's the Tony power hour. It's the Tony blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, here guys, it stops, stop, stop. Before I even take you to give you a gift, you're part of a team. You are part of a body. And I love the fact he uses that analogy because when you dismember a body, it dies. A body, it doesn't matter how great your arm is, if it's dismembered, it's still not going to work well. 
No matter how buff it is, if the rest of the body is weak, it's still going to suffer. Hear me out, beloved. God makes very clear on both cases. Did you notice it was in both? In both Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, there is the issue of the necessity of thinking like a body, thinking like a team. Because the moment God starts glorifying himself and manifesting in gifts, you're going to be in trouble if you start thinking of yourself as a lone ranger. The other thing fundamental, and notice in this case, in verses 4 and 5 of Romans, for as we are many members of one body, yet all the members don't have the same function, we being many are one. There's going to be two basic points made in each of them, and that is, there's many of us, but we're one, and although we're one, there's many members. And both have a play on it, and that'll be, that'll be really developed in 1 Corinthians. Follow me on this, though. God says, I've given every one of you gifts. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus on the cross, I've given you specific gifts to make you a blessing. To, to use you to transform the world around you. To bring people closer to the Father. And in the Holy Spirit's ministry to do that is for that purpose. Everything that the Holy Spirit manifests is for the purpose of bringing someone closer to Jesus. You or someone else or both. And so he says, but before we get there, I want you to look around for a second because this is the body you're attached to. So look around for a second. Just look at the people next to you. They're different for a reason. They smell different. They look different. They sound different for a reason. Because God really wants the body to be this cool, funky, weird thing so that when people look and go, how in the world does that body function? And the only answer we can give is God. If we all looked the same, we would be a really... Well, it's a sterile body is what they call a body like that. Even when, and some of you know this better than I, I've heard that they even have to cross culture certain things just to make them replicate in something that's sweeter or, or, or as far as fruit and um, other kind of vegetables, that they kind of crossbreed things just to be able to make the fruit much more powerful or to, to make it much more fertile or to make it much more sweet. God does that with us. But I want you to recognize that in both cases, God looks and he says, look it, I'm going to give you gifts, you specific gifts. And I want you to know that's going to make you unique from Angela next to you, which is going to make her unique from Carmen next to her, which will make her unique from Janae next to her. And yet in all of that, before you even start thinking about how you're going to be unique, I want you to recognize y'all still attached. Because the beauty of all of this is in how we all function as one, not how we function individually. Now with that then, the other thing, look at verses 9 and 10. And again, this is just overview because in the next couple of weeks we'll develop the actual gifts themselves. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. The other thing fundamental in regards to the aspect of being used by God is the aspect of being motivated by love. And let me remind you again, the opposite of love is not hate, according to Scripture. The opposite of love, according to Scripture, is selfishness. That's the opposite in Scripture. Because the idea of this kind of love is a selfless surrender. It's simply you before me. That's what this love is. It's you first. You're at the front of the line. I'm at the back. That's what love is according to scripture. The greater the love, the greater that sacrifice is. The greater that behind you get. Please hear me out on this. That God makes fundamentally clear. If he's only going to list spiritual gifts in two different places in scripture. And here it says, you've got to function as a body. And you've got to love to do so. And he sandwiches that. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's got to correct, so he's going to develop that even more so. But he's going, to give out, he's going to list out these gifts. But he also, in the midst of all that, says, if we're body but many members, many members but one body. And then right at the end of that, that takes us through chapter 12. What's 1 Corinthians 13? 
That's the love chapter. Do you see how God put those same two things in both places so that no matter where you read gifts, you can't miss them? Please recognize, God says, if you're going, going to have things that I'm going to use that are going to manifest myself in you, that are going to make you look bad, function as a team, be motivated by love so that you don't use the very rope that I give you to save someone to hang yourself with. Because I really don't want that to happen. Flip to 1 Corinthians 12. And again, forgive me if this is, you know, I, I love just going straight through. Today I want to go overview just so that at least to kind of wet your whistle to this. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a very easy book to dissect. And the reason is, is that Paul is clearly responding to a letter that was written to him. Three guys show up where Paul is, Fortunatus, Achaicus, and Stephanus. And these three guys show up with a letter from the Corinthian church, a church that Paul had planted himself. Very different from Rome, where he didn't necessarily know the, all the people in the church. This place, Paul knows them, and he knows them well. At this particular church, there are a handful of things that are clearly a problem. What we have is people are suing each other. There are lots of divisions among the people. Some are saying, I'm of Paul. Some are saying, I'm of Apollos. In other words, it's kind of a denominational argument. I'm of Pastor Chuck. I'm of, you know, Raul Reese. I'm of whoever. I Well, I listen to this guy. And you've got kind of this thing going on. So there's divisions. There's suing. And then there's this sexual sin. But even worse than the sexual sin, because Paul isn't just rebuking that. He says, you guys are proud of it. The issue was that they were tolerant of the sin. So you have this church that is divided. This church that is suing each other, which means they're being obviously very selfish and demanding of rights they don't possess as Christians. And then third, they're in a place where they're just, they're just going ballistic on tolerating anything that the world tolerates. And even worse, he says, you guys are even worse than unbelievers at this point. And that's the first six chapters. His appraisal of it as a doctor, Dr. Paul in essence, where to sit there, he says, y'all carnal, that's what you are. You're just acting like unbelievers. You are just filled with the flesh. That doesn't mean they're not spiritual. Strangely enough, they are still manifesting gifts of the Spirit, but in that, they're still very fleshly driven. A fleshly driven individual, listen, the difference is simple. A fleshly driven individual is all about them. A spirit driven individual, it's all about others. It's that simple. And hear me out. Chapter 7 starts the second portion of the two portions of 1 Corinthians, because in chapter 7 starts by saying, Now concerning the things you wrote to me. So in this letter that Paul reads, figure it out, Paul opens it up and he kind of says, hey, help, there's some problems with the church. And he gets these problems and he goes, and then we've got a list of questions, Paul. What about marriage? I mean, how does that kind of play out? I mean, now if the Lord's coming back, is it okay to get married or not? It's chapter 7. What about meat sacrifice to idols? Well, what about giving? Should we give? Should we not give? Is this tithing thing still a deal anymore? You know, and you see with each one of these things, well, what about the rules of men and women in the church? And then we got this one, well, what about spiritual gifts? Let me tell you what's happening. We got some things going on in the church, and, and just it just doesn't seem right. Let me tell you how wrong it was. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Have you ever really considered what's being said here? Now, again, now concerning spiritual gifts, because again, Paul's just going blow by blow as he's, he's answering all these questions. Now the questions are about spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, because you know that you, gen, you were Gentiles, Carried about by these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, what does that mean in its simplest sense? What it means is, you guys used to buy anything. I mean, before you were saved, you guys, man, you would follow whoever did whatever. The guy came into town with his snake oil and his smoke and mirrors and his little tap dance and his song, and you followed anything. Don't forget, that's where you were. 
You were easily gullible people. Now, notice Paul doesn't pull any punches with these people, but he's laying out something with this. Because look at verse 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. Now, are there any of you in this room that thinks, duh, that's kind of a no-brainer? But put this out. Why is Paul writing this? Because there's a question that came to Paul on that letter from Stephanus, Fortinitus, and Achaicus, and it said, hey, Paul, there's a guy who says that the Spirit of the Lord has led him to say Jesus is in hell. He's accursed. We kind of we argued over it, and Paul, I kind of was hoping you could clear this one up. Isn't that a crazy question? I mean, I mean, which one of you couldn't answer that question if it came to you? Which one of you would go, I'm not really sure about that one. Paul says, hey, let me remind you guys, you guys were gullible before. So recognize the people you're dealing with here, they're easily led. But let me just lay it out as clear as we can. Nobody says Jesus is accursed by the Spirit of God. And no one's going to say Jesus is Lord in all honesty without being motivated or driven by the Spirit of God to do so. Let's start with that. Because before you even get any farther with the spiritual gifts thing, let's start with this. This is how whacked out your church has gotten. Your church has gotten so spiritually whacked out that someone could say Jesus is in hell and everyone's like, oh, Spirit of God, Spirit of God. And someone goes, I'm not really sure about that. So the problem today is who do you write to today? Well, you don't. It's already written. But in that day, they actually... Well, we're going to write to Paul and go, you know, we're going to clear this whole thing up. I mean, there's some wacko, and he's saying Jesus is in hell. Paul, what do you have to say about that? And Paul goes, you guys are still easily led, aren't you? Look at this. You're following this. I mean, how lunatic does it have to get before you go, oh, I'm not really sure about this anymore. And then he goes, okay, look it. Let's get into your spiritual gifts issues. Four through six. There's a diversity. There's a diversity. There's a diversity. A diversity, there's a difference, there's a diversity. Same word, by the way. What's going to be different? Diversity of gifts, diversity of ministries, diversity of activities. First of all, gifts. What does that mean? Not everybody has the same gifts. That's the good news. There isn't a single spiritual gift that every single person possesses. That's good news. And why is that? He's going to tell us because the body would look really strange if it were one big foot. He's got a lot more to do than just be a foot. By the way... The whole body, hear me out, the whole body isn't just the mouth either. Yet there are some churches where they may believe that the only part of the body really is the mouth. Unless you're actually being the mouth, you're obviously not a part of the body. That's a dangerous place to be. Now I understand what it's like to have a passion for the gifts that God has given me. But I don't want it to consume me so much to think that you're not as much of a Christian as I am if you're not doing the gifts I am. I used to call that the Keith Green ministry. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the singer from back when, the Keith Green Keith Green clearly had a gift of, he had a gift of mercy, but clearly had a gift of hospitality. Well, it doesn't say spiritual gift of hospitality, but he was a very hospitable man. But he had a real gift of mercy, and he really reached out to individuals that were kind of down and out. And what happened is, is that they kind of had this big property that they were given, so they just let anybody who was homeless live on that property. It's kind of a cool thing in that sense. But then on one of his album covers, because back then they were this big, they were like giant CDs that you actually put something on, for those of you who are younger, you actually could see it spin, it did kind of tuck into a shelf. But because it was so big, you had an opportunity to write a novel on the back of your thing. And on the, one of his particular albums, he just talked about how you couldn't possibly be loving Jesus unless you did the same. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that what he wasn't doing was great. I mean, what he was doing was so great, but then he looked around and he started going, well, how come everyone else isn't doing that? Now, I agree there should be people out there doing that. 
But there's a lot of other things. And that's, might I just say, that's maybe that's a hand within Christ on the body. But the whole body isn't the hand. On the other side of it, there's other people that you'll see that God has made the heart. Or a foot. Or a knee. Or the stomach. Or the mouth. Or the eyes. Or the ears. And he goes and he develops that. But he says, look, at this is where we're going to start. All y'all ain't the... Uh, now think about it. Think if we were, in essence, animated parts of a Mr. Potato Head. And if you will, you think like sort of like, you know, like the church is sort of that, just that, that big glumpy thing in the, middle, in the beginning, right? I mean, imagine if we were all the same blue ear. Then we all wouldn't be needed. That would be, I mean, unless you're Picasso, it really wouldn't work. Well, you put, you know, you put a couple on and you're done. The rest of us would be, listen, listen to me, listen. The rest of us would be spare parts. If we were all that same part, wouldn't we be? But what happens is a church is kind of the place where God takes that little Miss Potato Head and then he lays out all of the other parts in front of him and we all kind of look and we look at each other for a moment and we go, oh, I'm not that, I wish I were blue. Or, oh, I'm not that, you're kind of bigger. And, wow, you're the cool big lips. And, wow, you're the shoes. How come I going to, uh, why do I have to be the mustache, you know? you know? And you kind of look at all of these little parts and we're busy looking around instead of actually focusing on the fact that there are hands that are going to put us in these places. And then we want to argue with the hands because we're too busy trying to be that other thing. And yet, in all of this, he goes, look, there's a diversity, there's a diversity, there's a diversity. Have you figured that out? There is a diversity of gifts. All y'all are going to have different gifts, and that's okay. But here's the most amazing thing. It doesn't stop there. He says, not only is there a diversity of gifts, there are a diversity of the way that those gifts are going to be manifest. Which means, even if by some real freakish thing, all of us had the same spiritual docket of gifts, that doesn't mean we're going to manifest them the same way. I mean, I know evangelists that are out there, and they're the kind of person that they just, I mean, I don't know how it happens, but it's sort of like they stand still for a second and a thousand people stand in front of them and they preach the gospel. But I also know other individuals that are some of my favorite evangelists, and every time you turn around, they're just sitting next to someone sharing Christ. Now, they're both evangelizing. Is one a better evangelist than another? Absolutely not. Because in the end of it all, God only gauges success by your faithfulness and your obedience. And if that be the case... If they're both being obedient, I mean, think about this. Get your eyes from the world and put it on God's eyes for a moment. Which one of these books would the world buy? If we were saying, like, how to build a business or how to get the most people, how to get the most movement, Jonah or Jeremiah? Wouldn't we all go, oh, yeah, Jonah, the Jonah way. How do we, you know? So what I have to do is get barfed out of a fish after being three days, get bleached white, walk a thousand miles in the sand, come out and go... 40 days and you're toast! Yeah! And then watch everyone repent and be upset about it. Or we could be the guy that gets thrown in a pit, we get so scrawny that Gandhi looks like Buddha, and, you know, and then they have to kind of pad up the ropes to pull us out, and we're all kind of there, and we cry, and we weep, and we go, and we have to all this stuff, and then in the end of it all, no one even responds, and people go, who wants to buy his book? But let me ask you, which one of those two guys do you think has the greater honor in heaven? Do you really think that God's like, Jonah, come here, man. Nineveh, good job, buddy. Jeremiah, I wish you'd cried more. Or, you know? Think about it for a second. From the world's perspective, they, oh, Jonah's book's a sellout. Jeremiah can't find a publisher. You know? you know? There's like the three-part trilogy that's being filmed right now. Daniel Radcliffe's going to play the role of Jonah. You know? <laughs> On the other side of things here, you've got Jeremiah and, and nobody, there's no actor. It's like even out-of-work actors are like, I'm not going to take that one. <laughs> Consider that for a second. 
Because when God starts looking at this, he goes, look, you're going to manifest it in different ways. Well, here's the problem. If you're going to manifest it in different ways, is there any place in Scripture that's actually going to be like your handbook on how you specifically have to manifest it? No. Why? See, because God doesn't want to lay it out so structured in such a way that you, take your, that you don't have to fellowship with the Lord to do it. Because remember this, nothing is more important to the Lord than your walk with him. Nothing. Nothing is more important to the Lord than your walk with him. Nothing. If you're dying of cancer, but if he healed you, you'd walk away from the Lord, why would he heal you? I'm sorry to say it that way. If I have to, I'm sorry. But Lord, take away this infirmity from me. Lord, take away this thorn in my flesh. God goes, if I took away that thorn in the flesh, we wouldn't hang out half as much. Oh, great. So in other words, you're actually doing this because you want me? Yeah, yeah, that's why. God's not the genie in the bottle. He's better than that. He's the one who wants to be with us. I've had a friend who wrote a song, and in it he wrote, you had to break my legs to keep me from running. In his case, he actually got electrocuted. I don't recommend that by any means. And so if that's the case, then you go, okay, well, maybe I have the gift of teaching, or maybe I have the gift of helps, or maybe I have this gift or that gift. Here's the cool part. You, then you're going to go, okay, now which book out there, and here's the sad part, is you can go to a Christian bookstore and get 75 different books on 75 different ways to do your 75 different things. And I've learned, and you read all of those, and then you're 75 times more confused than you were when you started. Because the one thing you didn't do is go to the one who's give, who gave you the gift in the first place. I mean, the bottom line is, if I give the same thing to both daughters, I guarantee you it's going to be used in different ways. I mean, what you'll find is, if I gave, if I gave Shantae, for instance, a, 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 just a 25 different coloring markers, it's a pretty good possibility Tay will probably take them out and start to, I know this is going to sound weird, start to draw with them. She would draw things and she'd go, ooh, those are cool colors, I'm going to do this, and I wonder what happened if you mix them and blah, 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 blah. If I gave those same 25 markers to Ruthie, she probably would try to figure out how to make lawn darts out of them. I mean, she'd be the kind of person who's like, wow, how far can I throw this? Whoa, those, wow, go! Because they're just very different people. Now, as a result of that, there are specific things I will give one daughter that I won't give the other. That would make sense, you know. I mean, you know, if, if, if there was ever a plastic or a rubber bug and I gave it to Shantae, it would be to scare her for the moment for a laugh. If I gave it to Ruthie, she, and we've seen situations where we've sat in the bus and someone has sat in front of us, total strangers, and she's taken that thing and put it in their hoodie just to see if they would, what happened if they found the rubber bug. That's my small one. But if I were to give them, now, as a dad, if I gave them something because I actually wanted them to accomplish something, because I wanted to bless them, but also I wanted them to be a blessing to others, wouldn't it just bother me, wouldn't it bother you if you were me, if they took that thing and then read 75 books about that instead of actually asking me what to do with it? Wouldn't it just make sense if she kind of said, well, Dad, I'm not really sure what in the heck this thing is. What do I do with this? Because part of the fun is to give her something she doesn't know what to do with, so she has to spend time with me to learn how to use it. Well, honey, you take it like this, and let me hold your hand, and let's do this thing together. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And I'll never forget that moment, because I got this special moment where I got to do it with her. And I'm an evil human being like the rest of us. How much more our Heavenly Father, who so desperately wants to be able to say, hey, why don't you come and talk to me about this thing? And if I diversify it, then you can go, well, I've got the spiritual gift of evangelism, so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch every Billy Graham tape. 
It's two finger point. And, and there's the wig. And then there's the little bit of that southern draw at the end. Of, oh, and the head turn. God get the head turn. Oh. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, God says, look at, you're not looking. I mean, you watched all these things and you didn't even come to me with it. The sad part is, I wonder how many amazing people that God would raise up to do amazing and miraculous and stupendous things that aren't because they're still busy selling themselves short by trying to be something God didn't make them. What if you were just the best you that God wanted to make you? Wouldn't that be really cool? Because that, if God made it, he's got to make it for a purpose, right? So stop using the word just. I'm just. You're just what? You're just a child of God filled with the presence of the God of eternity that's a tool in his hands. You're just. You're an ordinary thing in the extraordinary hands of God. Praise the Lord for that. And they'll have different activities. So you have different gifts with different manifestations or activities of it and with different results. One guy will stand up and the way that he teaches, for instance, might be like this. Another person, by the way, he teaches in a manner that's more like counseling. In the end of it all, marriages will be restored. In the end of this person, suicides will be stopped. They're all manifesting a similar gift, but they're manifesting it in different ways for different results. But in the end of it all, the same result is in this. People will be brought closer to Jesus. Back in Morro Bay, people used to farm, the local churches in the area used to farm their troubled couples to us. They were like, we don't know what to do with them, they're yours. And we were more than happy to, please, please, send them to us. And the first thing we do, I know this sounds really weird, is we sit down and we share the gospel with them. There was one couple, they had been to five different Christian counselors. No one had ever shared the gospel with them. Neither one of those people, though they had gone to church and were members of churches, they had never heard the gospel before, never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ because they didn't know they needed to. And when they accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he healed their marriage. And he healed it almost instantly. Like delivering a person from heroin the day that he said yes to Jesus. And they're like, well, then they got really angry. They're like, what about those other places? I says, you know what I think you should do? I think you should go back there and share the gospel with those pastors because maybe they just don't know it. And they're like, hmm, that never occurred to me. I was too busy being angry. And I'm like, well, that didn't work in your marriage. It shouldn't work with these pastors either. Here's the point, beloved. If God is the one who actually knows what gifts to give you and God's the one who built you to hold those gifts in the specific way that he's given it so that they fit right, the yoke is easy and the burden is light, wouldn't it, be manif- wouldn't it just be magnificent if you actually just were available and obedient? If you delighted in the Lord, you'll just find yourself doing these things because why would God withhold anything from someone who delights in him? No. Let me move to the last couple of things on this and we'll just kind of bring this around to close for the day. In regards to, notice from verse 7 that he starts to develop this whole thing of the body. But I'll start by this. The manifestation of the Spirit was what this is by spiritual gifts. To give to each one for the profit of all. He lists the gifts, and then he starts going into the issue of the body in verse 12. And here's the simplest point of it. Though the body is many, the body is one. Many parts, one body, one body, many parts. Here's the way it works. We're all one, even though we're made up of parts. And God develops that in two specific ways. And it's kind of fun. I love how he has fun with this. This is what it says in verse 15. By the way, for what it's worth, in verses 12 through 14, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, seven times the word one is listed in 12 through 14, in three verses. Verse 15. If the foot should say, I am not a hand, I'm not therefore a part of the body. Does that make it not a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is it not a part of the body? If the whole body were the eye, where would be the hearing? 
That's the whole point of this. The whole body where the hearing, where would be the smelling. But now God has set, notice this, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleases. His job, not yours. And if we're all members, where would the body be? But all one member. But indeed, there are many members and yet one body. Now, in the first part, the whole body is there's one body, but there's many members. In the second part, starting in verse 20, there are many members in one body. Now, in the first point of all this, it's quite simple. We are all different. There is one body, but there are many members. And because of that, you're going to be different. When you start thinking like that, what happens is you start to think you're insignificant. That's the first part of this. In a, in a carnal church, what happens is, if you think you don't have that gift, then maybe you're not as important. And God says, stop, stop, stop thinking like that. Stop thinking that somehow someone else is more important. Stop thinking for a moment that I'm more important than you are because of what I'm doing. Stop thinking that the guy that's out there evangelizing or the guy that's in India or the person that's whatever is more important than you are. The bottom line is, it doesn't matter what part of the body, if it stops working, it really makes the rest of the body miserable. Look, at I'm just simply, in its honest sense, looking to be faithful. I'm looking to be available and obedient. If I can be that, I can stand before the Lord in a clear conscience and He can say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. But look at that isn't because I did your job. It's because I just want to do what the Lord has called me to do, what he's made me to be. But the bottom line is, if you do what the Lord's called you to do, it's the same thing. The one he gave five talents to in Matthew, the one that he gave two talents to, the one that he gave one talent to, had they all done the same thing? With the five, he got five. With the two, that got two. And he didn't go, why didn't you get five? I gave you two. The bottom line is, the guy that was faithful, regardless of what he was given, if he was faithful with it, the, God, the, the Lord says, well done. The results weren't the issue. It was what you did with it. Two of them were, 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 were faithful and were available and obedient. The other one was like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't really like the way you do things, so I'm just going to hide this thing. And he's like, you know, if you just put it in the bank, it would have been better off. In other words, if you'd have just given it to someone else to use, it would have been okay. But instead, you know what you did? Listen, you hid it in the world. That's what happened to the other person in Matthew 24. You hid it in the world. Beloved, hear me out. Stop thinking you're less important than anyone else, less integral, less fundamental. And you're like, well, there's that pastor guy. If you really think that's what this whole thing is about, man, then you've turned church, you've turned Christianity into a spectator sport for 99.9% of the people. This is a contact sport where everybody gets dirty. And then at the end of it all, the benefit is we all get to sit in the locker room. That's what this is supposed to be, is to sit in the locker room together and go, how you doing? When we worship the Lord and we say, you know, let's lift up our voices and thank the Lord for things he's done today. We know those moments where we're thanking the Lord for a play that he just drove out. That was a good one. And it was always a good one. But this one, we actually gave him some ground on. And I tell you, I'll take, just, I'll take even more joy when the moment when I start seeing you get the ground and what the Lord's called you to do when you develop. And I'm like, yes, that's the beauty in it all. So look at so you're a foot, then be a foot. So you're an eye, then be an eye. But don't try to be something else. And don't for a moment, don't you dare think you're not important because you're not the other thing. Praise God you're not the other thing. Praise God you're not the pastor. In this room, there's only room for one of us, and there's barely room for me in this room. And there's two of us in the moment, but praise God, one of them is being with you. Now there's the other side of it. On this side, though there's one body, there's lots of parts, and every part's important. So don't you think you're not important because you're this part instead of this part. On the other side of it, though there's a lot of parts, you better remember you're still part of one thing. So in the first case, you start thinking, well, wait a minute. 
Um, I really am not important because I'm not this part. On the second case, if you actually stop thinking that way, you're going to go, oh, I'm the cool part. You're not. Because to be honest, the whole body really should look like me. Because if the whole body looked like me, it would be a mutant. No matter how good looking your part is, it's still going to be mutant if you're the only part there is. So notice that's what he says. Verse 20, indeed, there are many members but one body, yet the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Could you imagine? The head's talking to the feet, it's walking, it says, I have no need of you, and the feet go, cool, and it just stops, and boom, you fall on your head. You go, okay, I have need of you. No, rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Notice he didn't just say they were less glamorous. He'll take that first, but he says, even those parts that seem to be weaker, do you feel like a weak part of the body? Like, maybe I'm not the strongest part of the body. That should probably be the pastor, right? He should be the strong guy. He's the Mr. Incredible guy. But, like, I'm going to be, like, I don't know, that girl that kind of turns invisible. You know, I'm not really sure if I have a real purpose in all of this. Okay, maybe I can do that cool little, you know. Hey, wait a minute. Stop for a second. He tells us every part's necessary. Every part. Do you feel like I'm kind of the appendix or maybe I'm a wart? I should probably be frozen and burned off. You know? Gosh, I'm not even a toe. I'm like a corn on it, you know? There's none of that. I want to remind you, this is the body of Christ. And if it's the body of Christ, it's beautiful. It's the one body that God spent his time putting all these beautiful parts together. Now, let me just say something. Your body's comprised of a lot of atoms. You're aware of that. A lot of atoms. And according to Scripture, the one who put those parts together is Jesus. The one who holds those parts together is Jesus. And they were created by Jesus for Jesus. And he holds them all together. The difference between us and your body is that your molecules don't have the will you do. And we should all praise God for that. There are times when I think parts of my body have their own will. I'm pretty confident, usually after a good spicy meal. But... He says, wouldn't it be really, really cool if we took all of you together and we put it together like we should? And then the world looked and said, now that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen because that's what he intended. And when you think of, when you go through this country here and you see these beautiful church buildings where some architects said, you know what, what we need to do is try to encapsulate physically the glory of God so people could look and say, wow, that, that's a God of glory must live there. Because look at that. And he picked his stones. And he picked the shape. And he picked where the windows would be. And he picked how tall it would be and how it would rise up and all these things. And you look and you go, wow, that's really cool. And then in the next generation, you look and it's a different kind of church. But it's still, the same concept is still there. And that is that someone's supposed to walk by and go, whoa. Whoever lives in that house must be amazing because that's an amazing house. And he says, now that's you. The architect's God. And he looked and he says, I've picked these stones, you, and you, and you, and you. These are the stones. And you're like, well, where do I go? And he goes, that's not your job. Just be your stone. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to take these living stones, and I'm going to put them together. Well, I don't seem to fit with that person. I know. That's why I rub you like together, and that makes, that burns off your rough edges. I don't like that. Don't worry. You'll look good in the end. And you're like, and there you go. And just like the temple where they didn't ever even have to use mortar because of the way that they did this. And he's doing it with us. And we rub against each other. And as we rub against each other, he makes us more into what he's got planned. And all of a sudden, this thing gets put together. The church, when we meet like this, should be something that's the closest thing to a living monolith like those things we see out there. To a living, beautiful structure that someone walks by and goes, whoa. 
Whoever lives in that place must be amazing. Because look at what, look at the house he lives in. Beloved, listen, as we go to prayer, and I know I feel like I've been all over the board with this, but I have to lay these ground rules if we're going to get into Because if I just said, well, here, now, here are your power tools. Go get it. And you're like, you don't even have a blueprint in your hands? You're basically going to stick the drill through the next person's neck, and you're gonna, someone's going to take a saw, start sawing off someone's femur, and go, this is really cool. It makes a really loud noise. That's the person you're sawing! <laughs> or you could say, look it. God says, before I give you these things, you better know a couple things. You better know that I've made you a team. You also better know that I've got a playbook. I'm not going to give you your pads. I'm not going to send you out there with your jerseys until you know there are plays to be played and each one of you is integral. If you don't block, he gets hit, he can't throw. If you don't run, he has no one to throw to. They're all important. If you can't kick, what good is it going to be? Because there's no one that's going to be able to chase it anyways. Every one of you is fundamental. Every one of you. Well, I want to be the hero. Stop. Jesus is the hero. Can we just let him be the hero? Then we could just be happy to be on the team. So as we go to prayer, beloved, I just want to encourage every one of you, me included, if you could just be available, obedient. I mean, we often say be fat. Have you heard that? Be faithful, available, and teachable. But I have to put in that fat because you have to be obedient and all that. You want to be obedient. <laughs> because I want to be obedient because in the end of it all, that's what he's going to hold me accountable to. What if we were like that? What if we just said, what if we prayed a really dangerous prayer and we actually prayed, Lord, all right, could you make me just that? I'm going to stop trying to figure out who I am because I'm going to, I just want to be in you. I'm going to get lost in you. I'm going to stop trying to figure out how the rest of the world sees me or how they, gotta, how they have to pigeonhole me or categorize me because I just want to be known by you. You can do the rest of it. And I'm going to cling to you so you can do what you want to do. I'm going to get out of your way. And then in that, do really super neato, cool things around through me and I'll give you the credit for it. But last thing as we pray. Have you even accepted the gift of this Jesus? This one who died on the cross that we started with the whole concept. You started by, you're a sinner, and that sin needs to be dealt with. Have you accepted that gift? Because if you haven't, I'd love the privilege of at least inviting you to make that choice today. If he died for you to pay for all of those sins, if he rose again to offer you a brand new life, then what's left? The choice you have to make. But if you say yes today, God is willing to transform you and set you on the greatest adventure of your life. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you so much on this beautiful Mums Day, our first Mums Day to celebrate as a church. I want to thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to celebrate you and to seek you and to love on you and to cry out to you. Lord, we recognize first that we need to be validated at the cross if we're ever going to be Use the way you intend for us to. Because, Lord, you paid for us. You redeemed us. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. So please let us celebrate that even today. I pray today, Lord God, for every one of us that you would speak to us individually, even right now, and show us the specific gifts, the specific workings, the specific offices you want us to hold, the specific ways you want to, and the, the specific effects you want to bring about. And Lord, even if you don't show us those things right now, cause us to cling to you so that we could see them when it happens. And Lord, we just want to, I just want to be available to you. I want to be available to your shaping. 
to the way that you reinvent us and reinvent me. Because I know in the end of it all, you want to touch this world around us and, and you want to use me to do so. I, I don't deserve it. I never have. I never will. But I want to be faithful. I want to be available to whatever you call me to. I want to be teachable in my whatever way you want to teach me and I want to be obedient. Because I really, really, really want to be able to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I want to cling to you. And Lord, I, I, I'm thankful, Lord, that I don't have to be anyone else. There's already that other one. I just want to be, Lord, what you, I want to be what you've called me to be, the very best. And Lord, as we kind of get ready to step out of the locker room and, and take the field, just keep our radars on, Lord, our antennas up. And give us such an abandon, Lord, that we're willing to do whatever wacky thing or non-wacky thing you call us to. And I pray right now, Lord, if there be any within the sound of this voice that have not accepted your gift, have not said yes to you, but know they need to. I pray right now, Lord, if that be the case, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to them and show them that need. And if that's you, I want to pray a prayer right now. I ask you to listen. If you hear this prayer and you agree with everything that's said, I ask for you simply to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words. Let that be my prayer even now.